Things change from one generation to the next. Attitudes, politics, technology, even lifestyles. But when it comes to business, there's one thing every generation has in common. The pursuit of excellence. Welcome to Generation Excellence. A conversation with next-gen leaders of family businesses who are working to preserve the past and innovate the future. And now, here's the host of Generation Excellence and a third-generation business owner himself, Jamie Michelson. Jamie? Wave your terrible towel because we are going to learn about a business that has roots from an actual Pittsburgh Steeler. Not the football kind, the use of steel and construction kind. My guest is Tricia Ruby, the president and CEO of Ruby & Associates, a second-generation firm founded by her father in the Detroit area. The team of engineers, designers, and planners at Ruby & Associates helped the builders of the most complex steel structures across North America. Ruby & Associates call it constructability. I found an instructability to how Tricia has led a growing company that is also designated as a great place to work. We cover that and more in our well-engineered use of time on this 53rd episode of Generation Excellence. Welcome, Tricia Ruby, to the Generation Excellence podcast. Thank you for joining. I'm glad we can do this. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. You know, we've, we've uh, for the listeners, we, we, it's the old, you know, know each other or your kids are in a school and you meet in hallways and at teacher conferences and you don't really know what each other do job-wise. It's just, you know yelling at the car in front in the drop-off line or something, but exactly. Right. Um, that's, that's its own podcast, the pull forward thing. Uh, but as we pull forward, as we look backwards a little bit, so you've got this you know, firm that you're part of second generation leadership of, and you'll talk about a little bit of what's gone on recently with, with that structure and all, but Ruby and Associates dates back like about, oh, now we're in 2024 years, so for 40 year mark, that your father, who was doing other things, started a firm. I I just love people to tell what they know as the origin story and and the founding story and where it was and what drove that. And I'll I'll let you tell it. I did a little research, but I'm kind of love to hear. Yeah, how you it. yeah. Hopefully, I get it right. I wasn't. Um, yeah, uh, it's a fun story to tell. Uh, my dad, you know was my dad. I knew him as right. my dad, right? Like it wasn't really until I started working here 20 some years ago that I was like, huh, my dad has a pretty awesome story. <laughs> um, you know, and I just, I lived where I lived because of where my dad's career was. And, you know, so tying where I was born and where I lived throughout my life, knowing that it was because my dad was making these moves from this company to this company to this company, right. you know, is, is interesting. So, you know, my, my dad grew up in Pittsburgh, um, yep. and right along the Ohio river worked for American bridge, um, was a structural engineer. And so if you live in Pittsburgh, steel is absolutely steel in, your, yep. in your bones. And, and, you know, he would say, if he gets cut, he, he bleeds rust, um, <laughs> because that is just how it is if you're from, uh, you know, Steeler nation. So, um, so he out of college, he and actually in college, he worked for American Bridge and then graduated, worked for American Bridge. And um, the the interesting part of that is a structural engineer, you know, for the first two years, he wasn't even allowed to be an engineer. He had to be a drafter, um, okay. you know, drawing lines and and knowing that each line meant a piece of steel in the field um, that had to be erected and touched and and bolted and welded and um 
and it wasn't until after you go through that for two years that you you're actually allowed to actually be an engineer. So um, as as his career progressed, he moved to Chicago. His big projects were, you know, John Hancock building the Sears, Sears Tower, a major skyscraper, Standard right? Oil Tower. Yeah, absolutely. And he was the structural project manager for those. Met, you know, met with Foscon on a weekly basis to get those those projects up. Um, and so his his experience in the industry was always on the construction side of okay. the business. Most structural engineers. Um, at that time or at really now are used to being on the design side where you're working for an architect, you're, you know, going through the whole, the, I, what I call dreaming architects listen to words. They dream about what this building can be. And, and structural engineers are kind of providing the framework for that. They don't think at all about the construction side of how this building is going to get built. So my dad only worked on the construction side. So a very unique um, background. And so, um, was in Chicago, then left there, went to John Portman in, in uh, uh, Atlanta, which okay. I was born in Chicago, moved to Atlanta when Got I was it. in like 18 months old. Um, and then uh, was chief engineer for John Portman, an, an architectural AE firm. Um, and Renaissance Center was actually, he was chief engineer of the Renaissance Center. So it tied to Detroit, which is pretty I awesome. See. And um, ended up working there for five years, economy wasn't great. I think their department got downsized, 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 didn't love it, you know, came to Detroit and started working for a steel fabricator. Um, and after a couple of years of trying to put up structures that had been designed by an engineer that didn't think about construction, my dad really mm -hmm. felt like the construction industry really needs a structural engineer that's thinking on their behalf. Um, and so he had met with so in a of, way bridging those two things. So yes. Bridging those two things. Yeah. Right. So he had met with a, a, a client at the time of his or former company and the guy's like, you know, Dave, what, what would it take for you to start your own business? And my dad said, well, you know, it would take probably, you know, $30,000 worth of cash and a project. And so six months later, this man called him back and he said, okay, Dave, I have your $30,000 and I have your project. Nice. When can you get started? And my dad tells him- people can't answer just that question. Uh, yeah. And uh, so my dad tells a story like just with tears in his eyes because he still can't believe that that um, he had never thought about it really of starting his own business. He knew that there was a need there, but he didn't with a, you know, a kid going to college, he started the business when my brother, um, had sure, just I gone off to college Picture the era. Yeah. And then my, you know, I'm the youngest and my middle brother. So we're still, you know, in high school and, um, and I was in middle school. And so just the risk of it all, um, was, just when he retells a story, just pretty, pretty remarkable what we've, what we've grown to out of that one, one story. And, and he it, said they, they made phone calls for about the first three weeks. And, and, then, and, sorry, and what was that first project? The first project was Honda Marysville oh, <laughs> doing wow. structural engineering at the Honda Marysville plant. Um, most of the work that my dad did um, historically was not on the, structural the actual building design but all like the conveyor work inside a plant the paint system the mezzanines all that stuff so not a lot of building design but there's a lot of structure that's in different buildings that isn't the main structural component we do a lot more of that now but um we didn't back in the 
back in the day, as they say. Um, so once the word got out that my dad was providing these services, he he had two other guys with him at the time. One guy's still with us um, it, that he said we, we made phone calls for maybe three weeks, got eight new jobs and basically never made a phone call again for 15 years because the work just kept work pouring in. It just, yes, you. yes. And, and still it does that way too, even and now. So from, the, you know, that earlier work, the, the groundwork your father was doing, learning his, his craft, his trade, his exit. Mm -hmm. It seems like, I mean, those, some of those are the, were the largest buildings in their markets or areas still are right. 30 sure. years later. Um, and, how much was that work he was doing computerized and even before it is do we also have the founding of this business at the same time as a lot of the sort of the CAD coming into yeah being? I don't even think um I'm sure there was there was all physical drafting we're talking uh, gosh I remember and oh oh you're bringing back memories as a kid working <laughs> working in the office and doing blueprints you know with because sure. we would use sepia and vellum and and run it through the the blueprint. Yeah, there's some parallels. I mean, our our business, you know, was what we called mechanicals and stats, and you know, it was an analog business of creating ads, yeah, for printing, and that became, you know, what is now all basically all digitized. Um, right. I mean, you're still physically making something as an right. product. Yep. Yeah, I think our first CAD person is now our CAD manager. He's still with us. Um, but he started with us when he was 18 and we were doing, you know, all the physical drafting and then obviously brought in AutoCAD and now it's building information modeling. It's, you know, it's so far beyond what um, 2D CAD was, but. So you, you're, um, you're, so, you know, some of these people I interview in the, in this podcast of some of the businesses are older. So that means, the person, you know, knew it from birth, but doesn't mean they knew it. Others uh -huh. have stories like yours where, yeah, a lot risked as the family was dealing with really life. Uh, sure. And, you know, kids in school, kids going off to college, kids doing different things. So you kind of go into engineering and this, some of this same space, was it just osmosis and you're like, I want to be like what my dad's doing. Uh, did he push you into it? How did, how did that path go? Oh my gosh. You don't even know the story. This is fantastic. No, I don't. <laughs> so I went and now our tens of listeners. Well, so. right, right. Exactly. Um, I actually went off to Purdue to not yep. be an engineer. Um, and I love math so much. And without a math class, I kind of almost lost my mind. Um, I didn't realize how important math was to me and just having a right answer. So I transferred into, you know, a first semester didn't have calculus. It's my favorite class of all time. <laughs> um, ended up finally getting into, you know, because I took it in high school and I should have tested out, but I had mono at the end of the year. So I couldn't take the AP exam. So anyway, easy A's at Purdue to get, you know, calculus. But um I realized how important math was to me. And so ended up transferring into engineering after my freshman year, which okay. is 
what nobody does. It's like, I think the statistics seriously are one in a million kids yeah. transfer into engineering. Right. Um, most yeah. are transferring out. So I was like the, you know, one in a million that uh, transferred into engineering, but I, I transferred into industrial engineering. My brain is much more big picture okay. and industrial engineering. And some people call it imaginary engineering, but it was the right for me is more about big picture from a manufacturing perspective, it's, um, you know, how does, how does the plant actually work? How does material flow? What is, what is the most efficient way to produce this thing through this plant? And that's kind of how my brain works. It's very big picture versus structural engineering or mechanical engineering, very much about the details of that particular piece of steel or, you know, that bolt or that screw. That's not really what got me energized. So I went into industrial engineering, had a completely separate career, moved to Atlanta, had a different life down there. And then um, there was this thing called an embezzlement that happened at Ruby and Associates. Oh. Um, and uh, was that was discovered in late 2001. And so I got a call from my dad and he said, hey, I need some help. Um, can you come help for a couple of weeks? Um, I don't really know what's wrong at the time. I don't think he even knew the, about the embezzlement, um, but he knew something. So there's, there's going really on. dive in applied math as like mm -hmm. forensic accounting, not necessarily mm -hmm. the core business of engineering. Okay. Right. So um, I came back from Atlanta over the holidays a few weeks early to just help out my dad for a few weeks. And that was December of 2001. So that few weeks turned into my new career. Wow. I mean, we've yeah. had a lot of entry stories on this podcast. That's the, I mean, and some come from dark or serious things that happen, but yeah. That, that's it. The, so you, 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 you obviously sort of unearthed that, figured that out. I'm sure there was some very, some pain from addressing and then dealing with that. Not great. Not great. And <laughs> but clearly the firm overcame that. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and so you, so you join then and make a career out and now you're working with your father. Um, right. So like, yeah, talk, talk about what that was like. You're some of those fond memories of like either, um, you know, sayings that Dave had when he was, you know, your your boss, your mentor, your father, all those <laughs> things, or or just what you gleaned from watching him build a business, build a business that he started. Yeah, you know, starting out in the manner that I started out, it was really challenging. It was uh, a really challenging time. The the person that did the embezzlement was really, really almost destroyed the company, and wow. so it was horrible. Um, and so what, I think I saw my dad more, more vulnerable than anything mm. because he was so brilliant at being able to unroll a set of drawings and just see it. Mm -hmm. He could see how to build something and he can do it any day. You put a set of drawings in front of him and he absolutely knows how to build it or knows why it won't go well and what needs to change. It's, it's, he's brilliant. But when it comes to looking at a financial statement, so balance sheet and income statement, absolutely no idea. Hmm. Absolutely. Didn't run his business with one, doesn't know how to read one. Um, and just really trusted people to, you know, you, you put people around you, you trust that they're going to provide yeah. the right guidance. Yeah, sure, sure. And he just didn't get it. So I think that that was 
really hard for him to, and all any, any of us to really just acknowledge like, wow, I'm, I'm so brilliant over here, but I really got taken advantage of her, of over here. Um, but I also got to just have the privilege of spending this much time with my dad. Yeah. And it wasn't always pretty. There's, you know, as with any family, at least with our family, there's, there's drama and there's some unhealthy relationships and there's, you know, not, not some not great stories, but, um, did you have other siblings in the business? My, I had my, my brother used to be okay. in the business okay. and he is not with the business anymore. We had to have him exit the business. Um, and that's when I took over. Um, but the, but the privilege of spending this time with my dad, the time, um, I think is, is like, I know my dad more than anybody, you know, I got to experience him as a parent, as my soccer coach, as my helper of physics and Mm -hmm. math homework, as, you know, my, uh, biggest fan on the sidelines and all the sports that I played in high school to then being the, the shoulder that I cried on during college when I got an 11% on a statistics exam um, <laughs> and uh, being like, Oh, you'll be fine. You'll get through it. It's, you know, everybody fails to, or, you know, nobody does well in statistics um, to then being that really could help you like, with that. And you could help me with calculus. <laughs> right? Exactly. I know. Yeah. But then to like, be living in his legacy and then helping repair it because the bu- the business almost failed because of sure. this embezzlement. So um, I got to preserve his legacy by also building my own in changing the culture and um, building us what I considered a sustainable and, company. And as you know, the 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 call it the business near death experiences of longstanding generational businesses. Many of them have them. You try not to have many of them, right? But many have one that was that was really, whether transformative or just shaped, and certainly never leaves part of your brain, right? Uh, and 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 you pay attention to things and all that. So you're working. Talk talk about some of the, those projects that because you know you're you're actually advising and guiding. I mean, the steel business has always been kind of like in the business news because it's a global and mm-hmm. which country is taking root. And of course, a lot of, you know, what was so much a front of part of America that went to other places and all, what are some of the things that you all helped advise on the engineering, the build of, yeah. you know, both in the Metro Detroit area, but you know, listeners are all over the around, around the country, around the world. Cause sure. That's, that's part of the legacy too. Yeah. So the fun part of being um, on the construction side of the business is we get to work on just awesome. We get to help build. We get to help. We get to work with people that build things like that is what we love. We love. um, We, I always say we love what we do, but we love what our clients do. Like they Mm -hmm. are, (laughs) they are building stuff. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure you feel the same way about your clients. So, um, you know, building (laughs) right. Right. We build physical things. It's pretty great. So as early as Sunday night, when we were at Ford field celebrating the lions first, uh, you know, victory and, and, 
so in the many whole span years. of this, this <laughs> company that we're celebrating. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we um, did the entire construction engineering on Ford Field. Um, we completely changed how it was going to be built because how it was going to be built was going to be too costly, not safe and, and um, not meet schedule. So we redesigned how it was going to be built. We built the roof truss on the ground. We tipped it up and then we lifted it in a place. Um, at the time, the biggest lift of a steel truss in North America. Um, so it was pretty monumental. That was back in, um, I think they lifted it in 2001, 2002, maybe I'm trying to think as I, we had been working on it for a couple of years before I got to the company. Um, so yeah, did lots of work at Ford field, um, a little work at Comerica park, not a ton. We did little Caesars arena, same kind of construction engineering, um, worked with the steel erectors, putting that up. Um, I got to see see be part of as that was being erected and built. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. We're involved in that too. Yeah. Yeah. And the flag Um, hung from the highest point. I learned. Yeah. We've got to do the, do the, um, the topping out ceremony as, um, as is done in pretty much every steel structure around the country. Um, Miami Dolphin Stadium, we did all hmm. of the construction engineering of the new roof canopy. There's a lot um, of innovation in the, in the sports venues around the world. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And typically we've been brought in to um, just do it better. So our, you know, go to our website says Ruby helps you build it better. That's really right. what we I do. I was about what that, that, yeah. that means. Okay. Yeah. So we are, we coach our people to think like builders. And because of my dad's background, that's how we teach our people to think is always like, it's not just a line in the paper or, or a line on your, you know, your building model on your computer. It's, it's actually a piece of steel and you need to know that somebody's handling it. Somebody's fabricating it. They're, they're punching it with holes. They're bending it. They're cambering it. They're lifting it, whatever it's being handled. And so think like a builder, think all the way through the process and design with that in mind. Cause there's not only one way to design something. Um, sure. and so we'll get a design one way and then we will shift the way it's either, we'll either have the engineer change the way they designed it, or we will maybe change the erection scheme for that. And I would how assume, that building's put up. I would assume the economics or the finances can, I mean, there's value engineering, not to the point of not safe, but having to work through that too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Labor in the field is a, you know, huge cost. So you might maybe spend more in material and have less labor Mm. or something like that. You know, it's lots of things to think about. Um, We've worked on any number of stadiums in the, in the country. We've done, you know, probably touched every General Motors facility in the entire country all opened and closed um, and reopened um, new ones as well. The new battery plants, we're doing a ton of, ton of those um, working on, you know, one for VinFast. We're, you know, doing several for GM. Um, awesome. It's, it's, yeah, it's pretty remarkable. So when you travel around for life, you know, leisure, just, just with your family, whatever, and you pass buildings and you see those cranes and all that, I mean, are you, do you like look and, eyeball it and think about what they're doing and okay I do yeah and then I'm always like are we working on that or why you know or I'll go to a city and I'll see why a bunch of cranes why aren't we working on that you know who what relationship do we have because we are while we're Michigan based we are licensed in 42 states so right. we do work all over the country and three provinces in Canada so um, we're fortunate that you know our clients here 
work in other geographies. So they frequently bring us with them. Um, or we have a high concentration of clients in St. Louis. There's a, you know, big steel industry in St. Louis. So okay. lots of clients there as well. Just you all have to say no to people sometimes like that can't, not that it can't be done, but, uh, we, we, yes. Okay. Um, yes. And I think, um, that's something I, I, at least helped with years ago that, you know, I think my dad, you, you start the business and you say yes to everything. And we got to the point where we could be selective. And so yeah. then you start really defining what do we like to do? What are we really good at? And what do we do that our clients really value? And then from there, we were able to really, um, streamline who our clients were, who we, I mean, I always say that everybody should have the privilege of working for us or working with us because our people are amazing. And I think what we do is creative and, and really valuable to the construction team. They don't always, but at the same time, might, not for everybody, and not for everybody. Right. Yeah. We, yeah. we are more can, expensive can, perhaps than somebody else, but I think we provide more value. We think differently. We think all the way through the end. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, sometimes that's not in the purview of somebody's contract, right? So they're like, I appreciate that you think all the way to the end, but that's not, that's not how far my contract goes. I don't want to pay for that other piece, you know? So, so while, you know, this podcast loves to talk about generational businesses and family and the family component of it. And again, the highs and lows of that and some things you had to work through with your brother and all. What, as you were you know, having meetings within the operation. So when you get together with your, the rest of your family and your dad, like, were you guys still talking about business and drawings and buildings or were you able to separate that? How, how good were you at that? Or I'm not, um, it's not fair. I'm not evaluating. And just like, how did you all do it? I think not the best. I think, um, Sometimes it was the only relationship we had. So if, mm. if the personal relationships weren't working well, which has happened frequently over time, the business, business, the business relationship okay. stayed healthy. And that was a way for us to stay connected and still appreciate each other, even though maybe on the personal side wasn't as strong. So, um, you know, that, that's um that's still a work in process, I would say. Okay. On the on the personal side. But um I think yeah, it's family business is hard. It's just hard. <laughs> I mean, when um, I, I ask people what advice they would give, whether it's to your own family members that would be getting into your operation in some way or have been looking at that, or yeah. outside of your own walls. What do you, what what would you advise them on from what you've learned now being, you know, in that, in that way for over 20 years? So I would say my dad did not start this business as a family business. Right. Founder. He's just founding a business. Yeah. Right. And when my brother joined, my brother saw it as a family business, but my father right. still did not see it as a family business. And that was a, um, a sore point. Hmm on both sides and for two people that probably weren't great at articulating um, points of disagreement or, you know, just not great communicators from okay. that perspective. Sure. Um, and then I came into the business and tried to broker 
peace in the family after coming in at a really traumatic time. So I think you have to come to terms with, is this the family business or not? Um, and yeah, and it can I be family-led business, but run yes. like a business. It right. can be a family business that's very lifestyle and just, yeah, I mean, there's different ways there's, that they all operate. Yeah. Yeah. So I think having a healthy family discussion on what that means and and what the roles are and, and um, cause I do think any, any, any second generation or third generation coming in, the expectations of their performance is higher than yeah. a typical person coming in. For them, you know? Hopefully for themselves, but also everyone sure. else watching them. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Somebody's always watching. Um, so I think that that's important for everybody to know. I, I don't think that's a mystery. You know, I think we all talk about it in the family business space. Um, but I also think that you have to be able to talk openly about when performance isn't there. Um, you know, we ultimately made the decision to let my brother go. Um, and that was obviously with, uh, months and months and months of, um, trying to make it work. Sure. Um, and yeah, it's not, it's not something you really ever want to do. No, no. Um, but it's also, you have to come to terms with sometimes that needs to take place for the, the, fam, the company to move on and the company to, to, to succeed. So, and, and, and as the company is moving on, you yourself, I know, I mean, you guys are building, literally building things, but you, you also kind of seem to have a lot of uh, heart for building community. I mean, you're involved in a lot of boards and, and, uh, you know, th- th- things outside of the operation. Yeah. Was that something that's kind of culturally from how you, you know, what your father did, or is that more driven by your, your motivation or is that? Um, I, that's a good question. My dad has always been involved in the building of the profession. So his, I saw that. his extracurricular okay. was really around founding the Structural Engineers Association of Michigan, being a founding member of the Coalition of American Structural Engineers, always very structural oh. engineering focused, okay. you know, um, and giving back. And so I fully support that. That's not my chosen profession. As you know, I, you know, like I said, I'm industrial right. engineer. So we still fully support all of those organizations and we have leaders that are active in those organizations. And I think for me, I, I went kind of the nonprofit route and supporting Judson center, um, substantially and some other nonprofits that are important to me. Um, you know, some that are providing engineering education for underrepresented communities. I mean, our industry is so not diverse. It's, it's terrible. Um, so, trying to see more people of color, more women, um, in our, in our meetings, in our, in our, you know, in, in everywhere in our industry is, is really important. I remember, I'm, what was it? Wow. Or so I remember, but for my daughter, woman, women in engineering, women of engineering, is that, whoa, something of just in the student, at the student base, like you Yeah. There's, oh, there's society, sweet society of women engineers. That's and, what it was. Thank yeah. You. Sweet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, so I, I don't know. I, I, I've, I'm really passionate about it. I think 
I'm just highly empathetic. And I, um, Judson specifically, like one of my best friends has two boys with autism. And I, I, I have watched her parent, you know, they're now in their twenties and they're wonderful boys, but, um, really challenging parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Judson has a very large autism program. And so I served Judson on behalf of my good friend. Wonderful. Um, you know, they obviously do a lot of other things with foster care and adoption and, you know, adults and families with disabilities, but, um, the autism, um, mission was really what, what brought me into Judson. Uh, so let, let's go to you know a more recent chapter in in your in the in the business story of you know forty some years, where you all you make a decision or however stars align to be you know join forces with a larger enterprise, and and come into that. So can you just talk about like how I guess how that might have come about or how that's the stuff you're allowed to talk about, but how that came about, how that started, how you communicated with family about that, because um, as, as a, you and I talked about off, off mic, that's a, you know, as businesses have that legacy story, that's a big deal to consider mm-hmm. that and go through that. Sure. So we, um, we do have an outside board. So um, okay. our board was uh, my dad and I, and then um, we had three outside board members. And so succession was always something we had talked about, um, you know, Trisha who would take your job if you weren't there Mm -hmm. tomorrow, you know, what does that look like? And, and the answers were, um, you know, something if they're like, if you can't answer me in five seconds, then we need to talk about this. You know, it was one of those, cause I'm like, well, they could do part of my job and they could do part of my job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, but ultimately nobody wanted my job. Mm -hmm. Um, that was, uh, I, I, um, I divested some stock two years ago. And so to six, six next level leaders at our firm, and I love all these people. I wanted them to partake in being an owner. I think being an owner of a business is a privilege. And, um, two things I learned from that conversation. One was their first question was how long are you going to be here? Um, because they really, only really wanted to work for me. Um, and number two was like, wow, that was really expensive. And so kind of, I definitely learned that the financial commitment of being an owner, like I pretty much had tapped them out and I still was, you know, a large majority owner, even after that divestiture. So that got us thinking as a board, like, okay, how can we, let's look at a 10 year horizon. Let's mm-hmm. get Trisha out in 10 years. What does that look like? Hired a consultant, did the math. And there really wasn't a way to do it internally, mathematically. Okay. Um, so that got us talking about, mm-hmm. well, we could do an ESOP or we could um, look at an external sale. And ESOP also worked mathematically and with our culture, but it didn't solve the leadership problem, which was who was going to take over for me, um, after I divest and, you know, can move on. Um, we didn't really have an answer to that question. Um, and I probably, I don't know if it was COVID, but maybe prematurely burned out. I've been doing this job for 12 years, president and CEO for 12 years. And, um, just felt like we were growing so quickly right now that I knew we were, you know, we're at 55 people, and that's a hard 
space to be running the firm at 40 people was maybe the easiest thing I've ever done. I'm like a 40. It's like, it's like almost a phone. Like it's really the firm runs itself, but at 55, everything is stretched. I knew that we had to really substantially mm-hmm. change the structure of the company. And I just, I didn't see a way for us to do it ourselves. I just felt that there's going to be too much, um, I call it corporate gravity and resistance um, to get us there. And I didn't think I had it in me. I didn't think I had the energy in me to, to get us there. Double or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Right, exactly. But that was in our plan to double in size in three mm-hmm. years. I mean, that was absolutely in our plan. So, um, so then we said, okay, well, the next, you know, in the next five years, then we probably need to sell the firm. And we put that out into the universe. And like a month later, I got a call from, the CEO of Doug and Kolb who ended up purchasing us. Hmm. And I've known him for 10 years and Great. I've known of Doug and Kolb forever. Uh, my dad actually worked with them They're when like he worked 80 year old, when, right? Yes. So, yeah. My dad worked with them when he worked for American bridge wow. in the sixties. So my dad has known their leadership for 40 years. Nice. My, you know, like it, it, we've, I've just known of them for as long as I know I've, I can't even remember a time I didn't know about them. Um, And because they have construction engineering as a um, part of their business, they were always a company that I considered as a high potential um, candidate to purchase us. That list is really small. The list of structural engineering firms that do construction engineering in the United States is very small. And, and you know each um, other. Yeah. And we know each other, right? Um, I know another firm that that does similar work to us, but they are a hundred percent men. And I mm. would never consider, I don't even understand how right, that's possible. then there are those in not intangibles, but the 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 more the the some of the, the softer things or the other things to look yes, at. Yes. I don't I don't even know how that's possible in this day and age. So um so culturally, uh and and the great thing about Degan Cole. Culturally, very similar, very employee focused, very uh, much around professional development, technical excellence, leading in the industry. We're in the same professional spaces, which is why we know each other already. Um, And then I love the fact- All of this just happened in the last year or two. In the last year, yeah. A year ago, last um, November, I got the call in November 22, and we closed November 23. So, um, but the fact that they're California-based- we don't overlap in geography. Mm-hmm. So we work everywhere else that they do that everywhere else than they really do. Good. So good really good add on to each other, um, which also brought its own challenge because from the leadership level, we all knew each other as leaders. So, you know, several of our leadership team knew several of their leadership team, but nobody else in our company had ever heard of them because we don't overlap ever. So that was the challenge in introducing this concept. First of all, introducing the concept that I'm, you know, selling the company that we are being acquired. Um, and then really getting used to like, who are they? I've never heard of them. Why have I never heard of them? You know, um, kind of thing, but it's really just because we have similar reputations, but just in very different geographies. And so, you know, going through all that, which I'm sure was an intense year, mm-hmm. as you said, an intense year after that intensity of what all COVID meant to people personally, business, right. stock of life. 
So now, I guess, so two-part question, even though I, my one rule is not for myself in podcast, so don't ask two-part questions because people <laughs> don't remember either of the parts. But it's, what has that enabled you to do business-wise that maybe you were enabled to do before? And then also, is it is it enabled you a little more time or something to do um, outside of business? So, um, so first question, what's it enabled us to do? I think f- from a... From a business perspective, it's a diversification for both companies. Okay. Um, you know, so they're strong in markets that we don't really, we only considered ourselves in the steel market for the beginning anyway. Like we don't even consider a lot ourselves. of complementary stuff going on yeah. here. Okay. Yeah. So um, what has helped me to be able to do personally is it's, it's a lot less stress, I will say, because mm-hmm. I look at like, I have three boys, as you know, but then I have 55 people that work here that I also view that I'm taking care of. Sure. And so the, the, the stress lift has been pretty fantastic. Um, I'm still, it's, I'm still buried in work as we're transitioning and integrating and, you know, yeah, it's, then, it's then certainly not, right, it's there's series. not been the, not been the promised freedom yet of, of post-transaction. But you can um, see you some, know. maybe some operational yeah. things or other things that will come off of your, yes. like, your shoulders. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but that's been pretty, I felt like pretty immediate. Like I love, things. yeah. Like yeah. I think our business is amazing. I think what we do is amazing. The amount of demand for our services is unbelievable that the projects fall from the sky. Um, but then I, I am in my life and in every part of my life, I'm always thinking about like the projects fall from the what's, sky. Buildings don't people just, right, like, right, yes. Thank you. Projects fall from the sky. Um, but I'm always thinking about like next year, next five years, next 10 years. Like that's how I think about everything. I very rarely live in the moment. And so mm. it's fantastic that we're, growing and there's so much demand for our services, but like, then the strike happens with the battery plants and then you have, you know, reevaluation of all EVs and, and which all yeah. this stuff that, yeah, all out of our control, it's, it's what we're working on today. Um, it's, it's nice knowing that we have seven other strong markets to, to fall back on quote unquote, um, that are, are strong in, in a different geography that, you know, we have other teammates and, um, so that, feels really good um, because the auto industry has been really good to us. Um, incredibly good to us, and even in, sure, in the definitely in, changing. Yeah. And always yeah. has been changing. Yeah. Always has been changing, but even in the downturn and in the great recession in 2008, like it was auto business that, wow. that saved us. Like wow. that was all the, cause still the auto companies to. are always investing in their plants and always mm, spending to. money. Even mm. on a down year, they're spending billions and billions of dollars. Mm. So, and we are, you know, GM dictates that we work on a lot of their projects. We're just very fortunate that That's General great. Motors loves us. And they're like, you shall hire Ruby. You shall hire Ruby. So, <laughs> you know, it's not a bad so, thing. Let's just go a couple of quick, not wrap up, but, you know, ending questions. So what what do you like to do when you get, I mean, you're, besides your board level and community stuff, just to kind of get away from it a little, a little bit or a yeah. lot. So, um, 
my uh, my boyfriend and I have a we develop real estate. So my little side hustle, we build houses in Florida. So um, love doing that. They're like little um, tiny buildings to you. Yeah, yeah. we do uh-huh. right. Like you know, say twenty five hundred to thirty five hundred square foot houses and townhouses. So um, so yeah, we build down in St. Pete and love love doing that it's a nice creative outlet for uh for me as well it's it's great and i love to golf i did not golf enough last year um i can definitely i judge the amount of leisure in my life by how tan i can get in a summer and <laughs> it was not good last year so not enough golf in the uh in the schedule last year but yeah you but it'll come yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly what, what, whether it's you know through this this transition year or right before that what would you say is like uh you know just a a really kind of great idea you brought just to running you know implementing the running of the business whether you brought it or someone else brought it in and you 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 celebrated it and and championed it so i'd say two things number one i really believe in a strategic plan and okay. operation uh, operationalizing it i really believe that a plan helps companies make decisions and saying yes or no. And it helps um, streamline energy to the right things. And so we started a different process when I took over that, you know, we met quarterly with quarterly rocks. We did very clear planning and it absolutely moved the needle of the organization. Um, I think that's that, that e- was EOS planning. So you, we do the cousin that. of EOS so um, called CEO Advantage. They were okay. all born from the same mother and, sure. you know, probably a family business that split off. And you know, <laughs> so very similar to EOS, okay. but not EOS. Um, but yes, the quarterly rocks, all that kind of stuff. So that I think transformed our business. And then the other thing we put in our strategic plan was to become a certified great place to work. And so mm. we put that out as a goal. And um, we have been now certified eight years in a row. And the reason that's really significant is that when you think back to the origin story or my origin story of coming to the business, it was around an embezzlement. And let me tell you, if you have an embezzlement at a company, you have a very toxic culture because somebody is stealing and they are covering up for themselves by creating just sure. the old cover-ups worse than the crime. Yeah. Lots of, co- yes, there's yeah. lots of cover-up. There's lots of blaming. There's a lots of, Oh, you know, you're, you must be a mistake, blah, blah, blah. So there was a really toxic culture here. Um, and so it always bumps me out. Like we have, you know, ex Ruby employees from 20 some years ago. And I was like, Oh gosh, we are not that same company hmm. <laughs> anymore. You know, like, we are just not, we are a really great place to be. Um, we love each other. It's just a, it's just an incredible group of people. So well, that whole idea of helping others build it better. I mean, you gotta either, i sounds like you believe you're always trying to make the place you work better. Yes. Oh, we were at our best in 1989. No, I mean, <laughs> I don't no. Sense. that would not be a good approach yeah. or attitude. Yeah, absolutely. I meet with um, every new employee and the, you know, I always tell mm-hmm. them that in that first lunch was, like, this is a great place to work and it's everybody's responsibility to make it a great place to work. And if you think we can do something better, then say so. Like my door is always open. As you know, you've been here and yeah, my door, my door open, my door opens out. It's both architecturally, um, it's figurative and, 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 uh, 
it, in reality, the door opens out. Normally doors open in and we've made mine go out for, you know, symbolic reasons as well. Like the door is always open and I'm happy to hear, always want to be doing something better. That's, um, that's part of being an industrial engineer. You're always doing process improvement. And so I think that's just sure. how my, the strategic my heart is. plans, a blueprint for the future and all of yeah. those kind of the, the way of, of yeah. looking at it. And, and there's, you're, you're going to be, you're a plan, you have to be a planner to, to get through those steps. Right. Um, and then, yeah. you know, lastly, because it's the one question I've asked everybody had on this. And and while you said your father didn't look at it from day one, I don't think most people who started a business, started a business and go, that's a family business. It's mm -hmm. just a business. And some of them like strategic plans, what are those? They're just like trying to make payroll and serve that first sure. client and get one more. And, and then things evolve. But what's the most fulfilling thing for you about this spanning generations and involving family and going where it's going in the future and those 55 people and more? Um, I think in even going through this, this acquisition, I think the really recognizing the pride that everybody has in working for this entity that we've created, the, it's like, it's, it's like better than a family business. Like I can't, you know, like yeah. there's just, um, uh, it's like, I've tried to preserve my dad's legacy, but you can tell that everybody else is too. Sure. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's special. Yeah. Well, I, I think unless there's anything else you'd like to say about, you know, Ruby and associates and which, done where you're going and and that I forgot to ask I, I think I would leave it there yeah and I and I guess the only thing about like it's also just not about my dad like it really is sure. we've created something beyond his name like it's it's now our name it's our collective name I think yeah, that's like nice. that's what it feels like it's like our collective name which I love great yeah. Well, Trisha Ruby, I thank you for joining Generation Excellence. So, you know, both the generation part and the excellence part and embodying both and and for for being, you know, really candid with everybody about the business and family parts of it. Thanks so much. Generation Excellence is a production of SMZ Advertising. Thanks to Joel Bienenfeld, Jeff Martin, and Bridget Georgeski for help with this program. Thank you for listening and please share, leave reviews and contact me if you have any thoughts, ideas, questions. Until next time.